The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast. And if you are following along with us, which I know some people are, you are watching the shows, the episodes of Nitro and so on week by week. This week's episode, we hugely apologize for. My name is Sai, and with me as always is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are you doing, Danny? I'm really well, thank you, Sai. How's yourself? Well... Yeah, I'm okay. I love watching pro wrestling, and I, I just watched a, a best part of a you know a three hour pay per view, which is pro wrestling, which I love. But it was it was a slog, mate. It was hard work. But we'll get into that in a, in a moment. We'll, we'll dive into the pay per view very very shortly. This week's episode of Nitro Nights is having a look at the uncensored pay per view from March the twenty fourth, nineteen ninety six. Coming to us from Tupelo Coliseum in Mississippi, there was roughly 9,000 in attendance, which is not too bad an attendance really for WCW at this time. And there was a rough uh, pay-per-view buy rate of about quarter of a million buys, which again, isn't too shabby when you look at the, you know, the uncensored pay-per-view the year before was much lower and the uncensored pay-per-view the year after in 97, which was, you know, supposedly one of WCW's peak years was marginally above what they got for this one. So a good bit of business all in all, I think, in in comparison to what went on around it. Now, this pay-per-view is dominated by two massive stories, and those are our two, I I suppose, our our main and our semi-main at the end of the show with regards to the Doomsday Cage match, Hogan and Savage versus what felt like the whole of the WCW roster. And then we have the Chicago street fight between the Road Warriors and Sting and Luger, but no Luger, somebody else, and so on. But we will get to those because, as always, we start at the beginning, Danny, don't we? Yes, we do. And we start with our only championship match of the whole night, which I was completely shocked about. Because when you think pay-per-views, you think all the championships are on the line usually, aren't they? Well, yeah, or, or at least a bloody good selection of them, you know, but we've got no... No TV title match here. We've got no tag. Well, the tag title match, the, 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 the Chicago street fight. Initially, we're getting told that's for the championships. 
But I don't know if that changed on the night. We don't really get that explained to us at all. I don't really know what's going on there. The only one-on-one proper, I suppose, wrestling match for a championship is our opener, Danny. You're correct. And we have Conan defending his United States championship against Eddie Guerrero. Now, as is with quite a few of the matches on this show, this goes relatively long for an opener. This goes pushing 20 minutes. But overall, I didn't mind it so much, Danny. What were your thoughts on this opening contest? I really enjoyed it. Um, It was perfect to put in the opener because uh, fans would think, oh, yes, this is going to be a great pay-per-view when you stick these two on. Um, I haven't seen too much of uh, Conan and Eddie Guerrero wrestling each other. I think this was the first match I've seen um, them two in a match. And, yeah, I was really impressed with it, with everything with it except the finish. Yes, we will get to that in a moment. Uh, Conan starts the match looking at his opponent, so hopefully he's learned his lesson from previous weeks. Uh, we get a lot of mat wrestling to start, which is, which is great, and these two are working, I suppose, a very Mexican style, I guess, a very luchador style, mixed in with some more mat-heavy aspects. Uh, we get a figure four early on by Eddie Guerrero. There's a lot of arm drags, drop kicks, uh, and back and forth in that way. There's a, a huge monkey flip by Conan, which Eddie Guerrero lands on his feet, but it's such a huge drop from the sky. He almost goes all the way over again. It was quite quite spectacular to see. Uh, Conan flies to the outside on occasions as well. And I, I've got a note here saying about halfway through the match, this is this is wrestling. This is superb. I was really, really enjoying this. Yeah, it really was. It was like, um, like you said, uh, there was a lot of it outside, I noticed as well. Um, definitely, they weren't um, holding back on the 10 count, were they? Because this is uncensored. <laughs> so, um, yeah, really enjoyable match um, with everything in it. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, Eddie Guerrero is fantastic. Conan, Conan, I, whenever I see him work, I think he does a few things that are really good but then kind of just loses his way a little bit, or it almost seems like he's gasping for air sometimes. In this match that happened, the first half of it, uh, Guerrero and Conan, was it was superb. The second half, it felt like Eddie Guerrero was just kind of working with a, a mannequin or working with somebody who wasn't moving very much. So I don't know whether Conan got blown up or, or I, I'm not sure. I mean, this is this match, as I said, was 18, 19 minutes long or whatever, whatever it may well be. It probably didn't need to be as long as that. It was quite a quite a lengthy contest, and as I said, towards the end, it did seem like the lad. It did seem like Conan kind of lost his way a touch, but then we get this this strange finish, and it kind of takes the shine off the match altogether for me. Uh, Conan Conan sort of tries to duck under Eddie Guerrero. Make, uh, attempting a leapfrog but ends up headbutting Eddie Guerrero straight in the balls and then he kind of drops onto him half hooks the leg uh, and pins his opponent and that's it now you look at some of the action we've had in this match the dives to the outside um, a massive superplex by Eddie Guerrero at one point some spectacular flying DDTs and so on for that to be the finish seemed so random so out of place and also if I'm being honest pretty shit yeah, I mean, you summed it up perfectly. Even Eric Bischoff on his podcast has uh, criticised this uh, finish. He said it just ruined everything. I believe he compared it to pouring syrup on a steak, on a really good steak. And yeah, huh. that's a great, great um, uh, 
that's a great way of saying it as well. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a shame because the match was going so well. Again, if they shaved five minutes off and had a proper finish, this potentially could have been up there as, as one of the better matches we've seen on a WCW pay per view so far. It was it was that good for the first sort of ten minutes or so. But yeah, a bit, bit of a shame, bit of a shame. But there we go. That was our opener. We then have a backstage interview with Colonel Robert Parker, and he's ranting about his match against Medusa. He's going to grind her face into the mat, apparently, and he's going to. He's basically just ranting about beating up Medusa and so on. Uh, he has Dirty Dick Slater hovering around and uh, just the, the very dated looking gimmick, Danny, isn't it? It really is. And he, um, Colonel Robert Parker says he's going to show Medusa what a man is all about. And uh, to be honest, I, when I was watching this, I was thinking. They haven't really built up to this on television over the last four weeks, have they? No, I don't know whether things were happening on Saturday night. And that's what we've missed something there, potentially. But yeah. if you're heading into a pay-per-view, th- this is a frustration I have with WCW. And we've covered it a few times on the podcast already. Going into a pay-per-view, there are times, Danny, where you and I have no idea what the undercard is. We just know one or two matches. That's not good enough to me. That If they're trying to sell pay-per-view and, s- and sell tickets... We need to know what's on the card. Now, if they're telling stories on Saturday night, okay, that's fine. We don't need all the stories from Saturday night on the flagship show Nitro. There's only so much you know airtime they have. But if those stories on Saturday night are going to influence what happens on the pay-per-view, at least give us a little video package or a little catch-up or something of what's going on. So when you go into the pay-per-view, we know what it is. We know what's happening. Now here, my mindset is, Parker was supposed to be marrying Sensational Sherry. He was carrying on with Medusa behind Sherry's back. Medusa wrecked the wedding. Sherry was upset. So you'd think Medusa and Colonel Parker are working together at this point. And then the next thing I know, they're wrestling each other and they hate each other. There's a lot of dots in the middle there that haven't been filled in for me. Yeah, the same here. I mean, um, the, I was just about to say, the last I remember was that match between Sherry and Medusa, and that was it. And then mm. we haven't uh, seen anything. But yeah, I will go back and see if there's anything on Saturday night. Well, good luck with that, my friend. I am definitely not doing that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> our next match is between two people that we know very, very well. We have the Belfast Bruiser, who, of course, is Fit Finley, who that's probably what I'm going to refer to him as whilst we talk, because I can't refer to him as the Belfast Bruiser. It just sounds weird. And we have uh, Lord Stephen Regal. Again, this match goes best part of 20 minutes. But the difference between this match and the opener, well, I mean, obviously there's quite a few differences in different styles, but the difference between this match and the opener is in this match, it felt like everything they did was legit. How did you, uh, how did you take in this match, Danny? How did you find this contest and what are some of the, the highlights for you? That's a perfect way of putting this on legit because I remember being in school and the Great American Bash 2006 happened and there there was a match on there between these two and I remember thinking then, man, that seemed like the only real fight on that pay-per-view. And now uh, if you rewind 10 years before, we're in 1996, this, I had the same feeling of, wow, like that, that just felt legit. It just felt um, a very, very physical match. I found that the placement of it was really cool as well because – you had um, a sort of like a Mexican style match and then you had 
um, or Lucha Libre style match, and then you had a European wrestling match here as well. So hopefully things can get a lot better um, throughout the cards. But yeah, in terms of the match, um, yeah, really, really good. Just uh, every punch to the face or like elbow smash or something, it all felt just like it just mattered. That's how I felt um, about it. But for me, there was just a little bit too much outside wrestling in this, but then again, it is uncensored. So what can you say? Well, yeah, there is that. Apparently these two are facing off because uh, Finley came through the crowd on an episode of Saturday night and attacked Regal. And they're selling up the fact that these two know each other from, from for many years in the past and so on. Uh, the match starts with Finley taking off his Mad Max style leather jacket that's covered in spikes and, and other bits and bobs and nailing Regal with it, hitting him with some of the metal studs and so on that's on the jacket. Uh, it, everything here is very fast. Everything here is is very stiff. We've got some really hard clotheslines, especially from Finley, just absolutely leveling Regal to the floor. One of the occasions we go outside, Finley drops Regal across the guardrail and it looks like he's damn near split his throat. He's, he's coughing his guts up and so on. It was really, really vicious attack. Yeah. Uh, Regal does take control and uses a lot of heel tactics, I suppose, a sort of Ric Flair-esque shin across the throat as he's talking to the referee and all that sort of stuff, which then makes me think, okay, is, is Finley supposed to be the baby face here? But if Finley has attacked him through the crowd, that's kind of a heel aspect as well. And Finley isn't exactly wrestling in a style that portrays him as a good guy. So what what are we really watching here, Danny? Are we watching heel versus heel? I, I'm not sure. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I found the same thing. It was like maybe these this is heel versus heel because I just couldn't find out who was the babyface. But then again, um, if you had to, I mean, due to the finish, you'd have to go. You'd have to give it to Finley, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, I'd have thought so. I think that is kind of the, the way they were leaning towards. Um, Finley does hit a cent on at one stage and it's a case of it, it, there's no Jeff Hardy esque to it or anything like that, where, you know, that he's sitting on the deck before his body touches his opponent. He has come crashing down on his opponent's rib cage with that move. Uh, Finley has, uh, also tries to grab a chair from the audience, but that doesn't go too well because all the chairs are linked together and he can't get one up. So that was a bit of a disappointment there. Uh, we then get Regal using his, his very stiff looking forearms. And uh, when, <laughs> When that's returned by Finley, uh, we get uh, basically the pair of them. There's a, there's, there's a big splatting, slapping noise where they're drilling each other in the cheek and they're both incredibly sweaty. There's lots of stiff punches and Regal gets, gets split open hard way, I believe here. I, I can't see an occasion where he would have bladed. I can't see when it would have been that way. But Regal gets split open from one of these, these big hefty punches from Finley. Uh, this is just absolutely brutal. And again, same with the opener, as it's just about to, to the point where I'm thinking, okay, this is good, I'm enjoying this. The Blue Bloods run out, help Regal attack Finley, and we get a DQ finish. And again, a decent match, same as the opener, for different reasons, but a decent match, ruined by, by a crappy finish, Danny. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. So I was like... I mean, disqualification on an uncensored pay-per-view. I mean, for weeks they've been hyping up this pay-per-view, saying anything can happen, it's all unsanctioned, and then we have a disqualification in a really good match. And as you said, Sai, it was like, it just ruined it. I mean, just I mean, great match, but then horrible finish. What mm. can you say? <laughs> 
Yeah, it was. I mean, they, they do continue to fight to the back. I mean, Regal slaps Finley here with the Blue Bloods holding him, and he proper wallops him across the face. But yeah, they continue fighting to the back, and that's kind of where we lose track of, of Regal, the Blue Bloods, and Finley. We then head back to Mean Gene Oakland, and here's with Jimmy Hart and the Giant, and they're talking about the Giants match with Loch Ness. Uh, which is coming up later in the show. So there's one to uh, look forward to, I guess. And um, the giant states he's going to smoke Loch Ness like some bacon, apparently, which is, I I, I don't know if that's an American thing, but that seems like quite a odd threat to make. But we then get the information, Danny, that the winner of the Loch Ness versus giant match gets a title match the following night against Ric Flair on Nitro. So there we go. Yeah, quite shocking. It was like, um, wow, that just came out of nowhere, didn't it? Mm. It did. It did. It does all come out of nowhere. And it also, rose, you know, I suppose, brings up the question of what has Loch Ness and the Giant done in the last few weeks to warrant being named number one contender if they win this? Wow, I don't have the answer for that side, but I mean... That's a great point. It was like all they've done is kind of brawled with each other for the last couple of weeks, and now they're in a number one contenders match. It's, it's uh, booking on the fly. I mm. mean, comes to mind, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And if you're Ric Flair and you're hearing about this, you must be just thinking, "Oh man, have I really got to work one of these guys tomorrow? Have I really got to do that?" But we will find out who will be facing Flair shortly. Uh, Gene continues here and plugs the WCW hotline. He says that someone is retiring and going to Hollywood. Someone's hanging up their tights, as Gene says. Now, I'm not 100% sure who that is supposed to be. I'm assuming they're referencing Hogan because he was making movies around this time. I'm not sure. Danny, have you got any idea? Yep. According to Eric Bischoff's podcast, they was talking about Mark Miro. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah he's, um, I think he'd left. Well, he said it a couple of weeks ago. He'd left WSW, but I think he was trying to break into Hollywood um, at this point, just before he went to WWF. But um, Eric Bischoff said it was uh, a shot at um, Mark Miro, um, Johnny B. Bad. Why? There you go. You learn some every day, don't you? That's why you are the encyclopedia of wrestling, my friend. That's why you have that, that nickname. We then get a Loch Ness promo as well which was very interesting to me because obviously he's got this big history of world of sport in this country as giant haystacks. I've not really heard the guy talk much to be fair. So this was quite interesting and it didn't come across very good. I'll be honest. It didn't really fit in with 1996 WCW in the whole presentation of Loch Ness and this, this sort of promo style he has, it's very shouty, pointy, which is an old wrestling trait, of course. But I don't know if it's his accent or I'm not sure. It just didn't quite work. What did work for me, though, was Gene saying that he will introduce Loch Ness to his neighbor and says Loch Ness will love him because he's a dentist. Now, that is just a silly throwaway line. But then Loch Ness gives Mean Gene this stare down. And Gene is looking at the camera, trying to close up the interview, whilst glancing back at me at, at Loch Ness every now and again, looking genuinely terrified. And Loch Ness does not break the stare for the whole time. Now that there, that's the sort of monster I want to see Loch Ness be, because I believed he was going to kill Gene there. Yeah. I believed in Loch Ness there. The promo, couldn't give a shit about. Loch Ness so far in the ring, nothing impressive. But him staring at Gene that way, I believed that, Danny. 
this was a highlight of the entire pay-per-view. I mean, <laughs> this was brilliant. Um, me and Gene just giving his typical comedy line, something like that. But like you said, Loch Ness just makes the entire interview, makes sitting through that whole um, promo worth it. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great way to finish up there. Uh, our next contest, then, is another odd one, really. We have Medusa, and she is facing Colonel Robert Parker. And we ran through a little bit of the storyline earlier on, Danny, when we, we discussed the Colonel Robert Parker uh, interview segment. It's it just an odd one for me. This whole scenario is strange. But any time you get a sort of intergender match like this, and the character, the, the heel character is a a male manager who's always been a bit of a chicken shit, a bit of a slime ball. And Medusa is obviously incredibly popular wherever she's worked. She's always been very popular. They're going to get a reaction. They're going to get fans interested. Uh, have you seen much of Medusa wrestle or even Alundra blaze when she was in, in the WWF and, and then also Medusa in Japan? Have you seen much of her before? Um, no, not too much. I uh, just, uh, the odd match on the occasional raw from, uh, 94, 95, stuff like that. But no, not at all. How about you? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of my, my era, I guess I was watching a lot of it back then. So I saw a great deal of her wrestling then and she'd pop up on tapes uh, of Japanese events and Japanese matches and so on that I'd see sometimes, uh, very good at what she does. I think in some aspects, potentially a bit of a, uh, a bit ahead of her time. But on the other side of the coin, in America, there wasn't really anyone for her to work with, which was a real shame. You know, they had to, she, she had a lot more competition and made uh, quite a bit of money going over to Japan and wrestling in the, in, against the Japanese ladies over there because you tended to have more of those actively wrestling and being able to put on a match than you did in the US itself, Danny. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of um obvious here isn't it and where where she hasn't had a woman's match i mean i think she's only had one uh throughout this entire since she's returned and now she's wrestling a man on pay-per-view because there's no women to uh wrestle so it's kind of like it's it's sad it's just a sad state here yeah you're right and they do reference when medusa arrived on nitro and dropped the wwf title belt in the bin and said this is where the big girls play and, and stuff like that and I had to really rack my brains about how many weeks of television it's been because she did that. And then we didn't see her again for weeks. And then her next thing was trashing a wedding. And then she had a scrap with Sherry. And then again, we haven't seen her for a couple of weeks. And now here we are. You know, you're right. There is literally no one for her to work with in WCW, is there? No, not at all. Um, unless uh, we have to start seeing those WWE Saturday nights. Uh, maybe she's having some five-star classics with women on there. Danny, you keep hinting at this, but now, after watching this pay-per-view, it's probably the worst time to try and convince me to watch more WCW from this era. It's not going to happen, my friend. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Uh, the the match starts with Medusa and Robert Parker actually locking up, which to me is how many wrestling matches do start. But for some reason, the commentary team go absolutely mental about that. Uh, did that strike you as odd that, or, or, or a bit weird, Danny? Yeah, it, it's, um, Dusty and uh, Bobby Heenan were just going mad. There was like, we can't believe this. Almost borderline condescending, as if to say... Medusa, we didn't know a woman could do this, or we didn't know um, Robert Parker could do it. It was like kind of maybe uh, just a tad condescending, but they were very, very amazed. 
Yeah, and they kept re- going back to it and back to it. And and Dusty Rhodes has got quite a high pitched voice anyway, hasn't he? But when he gets excited here, he goes up into such a high squeak. I swear there were words coming out of him that potentially only dogs could hear because it was that high pitched. Do you know what I mean? It just went yeah. crazy. <laughs> He does, he does. But yeah, it was just, um, as you said, they kept going back to it and things like that. Um, Medusa just, I was quite shocked with the, when she did the uh, takedown, when she did the takedown throw. And then um, they just, I mean, the crowd massively popped for that. I don't know if you noticed that side, but anytime she hit a big move, the crowd was amazed as well. I think they were more amazed than Dusty. <laughs> yeah that's true i mean at one stage medusa body slams colonel parker and it's a it's a big old hefty slam and the crowd pop for that as well uh parker does end up taking control for a short time when he chokes medusa for a bit but then he misses an elbow drop uh we get medusa hitting a drop kick and then she dives off the top to the outside which looked a bit clunky a bit clumsy in places back into the ring. I mean, this match only lasts a couple of minutes, which is a real shame because, again, I was enjoying this. It, back into the ring, Medusa hits a suplex for a neck bridge. Dick Slater flicks Medusa's leg out from the bridge, which breaks the pin attempt. Parker then kind of rolls over, lies across her head, and the referee counts to three, and that's it. And it was... Um, I, I get the interference from... Dick Slater, I get that he's broken up the the pin attempt from the, this this really impressive looking suplex, but the pin was just strange. I don't know whether Slater was supposed to hold on to Medusa's feet so she couldn't kick out. I don't know, but something didn't look right to me with that, Danny. Did you pick up on any of this? Yeah, definitely. Unfortunately, it's our third bad uh, finish of the night <laughs> because. Um... Yeah, he just kind of, it was like he was, maybe he was just, just completely exhausted and just thought, oh, let me just roll over on her and just pin quickly. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess the story continues now. So I wonder where they'll go from here. Yeah, yeah. And what I hope, well, I'll say I hope, I do know that it isn't long until we have a WWE women's division created and they do bring in wrestlers from elsewhere in the world to compete in this tournament against Medusa. So I'm quite looking forward to that. Me but yeah, too. interesting to see where Parker goes. And also when we're going to see Sherry again, if we see Sherry again, it's going to be quite interesting to see about that when she's suffering from this concussion from the Medusa match. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Uh, backstage, we have a fella called Lee Marshall. I believe he was introduced as, and he is talking to the road warriors and they're talking about removing their opponent's brain stems which control all of your body parts and so on. I mean, it's creative. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it just seemed a bit off to me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was um, a strange interview, but this is um, Hawk at his, um, his weirdest probably (laughs) because it's very um, like, I found the placement of it very strange as well. They was sort of like in a classroom, wasn't they? Like with a, a board behind them yes and did you see what was on the board no what was on it if you go back and look what's behind the on on this sort of like chalkboard blackboard whatever it may well be uh behind lee marshall over his one shoulder there's a very rough drawing of the doomsday cage map of the doomsday cage sorry the four level cage and you can see single initials on certain levels so on the top level you have an r and an a 
which obviously we know in the main event means that Ric Flair and Arn Anderson are starting in the top. In the bottom level, you can see an S for solution and you can see a Z for Z gangster and so on. And there's a line showing where someone's going to move to potentially or whatever. And I, this to me can be one of two things. It can be put there intentionally as you know, as a little Easter egg of maybe the Dungeon of Doom or the Alliance to end Hulkamania, as I refer to on this show, discussing their game plan in that room. Or it could be where they sat down and actually planned the match out and WCW was so dozy they didn't even notice and they put it on their pay-per-view. You know, I, I, I genuinely believe either option could be right. Yeah, I'm going with the second option. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, after we've heard about um, Hawk wanting to remove brain stems, we get told by Tony Schiavone that in the month of May, we have another pay-per-view coming up, Slamboree 96, where Slamboree is where traditionally WCW honors the past, we're told. So we then go to a little video package, a little advert for Slamboree, and we're getting a lethal lottery, Danny, at Slamboree. That's going to be interesting. Have you ever seen one of these before? Um, I believe the only one I've seen is when TNA did it in 2008. Um, they'd copied WCW, so um, that was really good. So I'm actually excited to see how WCW pulls it off. Yeah, I mean, I always like the concept because, I mean, for those who don't know, your lethal lottery is effectively names drawn out of a hat, and you could be to form tag teams to face each other and you could be tagging with your best mate you could be tagging with your worst enemy you could have uh, you, you could be facing your own tag partner there's so much potential there from a story standpoint and you're seeing people square off in the ring that maybe you don't actually get to see wrestle each other before or after at any point because it is this crazy lottery the winning teams then all go into a battle royal or the battle bowl, as it was referred to in other shows. And the winner gets, I think, in the past, Sting won a, a, a piece of jewelry, the battle bowl ring, which is, you know, obviously lovely. And I expect he's still got it on his mantelpiece now. And, or I think they got a title shot in the past as well. I think there's so many brilliant options for storytelling with regards to something like the Lethal Lottery concept. The downside to it for me from a business standpoint is part of the excitement on the pay-per-view is seeing the names drawn out live on the pay-per-view and the reactions in the dressing rooms. If you do that, you cannot promote what's happening on the show in the television building up to the pay-per-view. So that's always a bit of a, a bit of a stumbling block. I think the way around that obviously is to draw out the matches beforehand. So you know what you're getting but then it's not that spontaneity. It's not that instant reaction because the idea is that the names are drawn out the hat and they go straight to the ring. So it kind of affects the format. So whereas it's a really unique concept and there's great storyline potential from a business standpoint, I think it can be quite difficult to promote because you, you've got no actual matches to list. Have you done it? No, not at all. That, thank you for explaining that because I didn't know that's how it um, runs together. But um, they, I have to give WSW props because each advert that they've had, they always promote a unique concept. Like for me, watching this for the first time, is this is all brand new. It's like wow, we had um, World War Three, and we had so many. We had Halloween Havoc and things, and it's like this is all brilliant. So I'm happy that they're always changing it up, but. Will it play off? That's the question, Sai. Well, this is it. This is it. I suppose the, the the concept with Lethal Lottery is if you're watching it 
and it doesn't pay off, they've kind of already got your money. It just means that they've got to do something better for next year to get it again, maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Vince McMahon, apparently, his big issue with the King of the Ring tournament and why he kept starting the King of the Ring and then dropping it and chopping and changing with that concept was exactly the same as I've just explained about the Lethal Lottery. You can't, you can't book, well, you, sorry, you can't, but you can't promote who's going to be in the King of the Ring final on your television building up. So he was like, well, if I can't promote who's going to be in the tournament final, what can I push to get people to buy it? And that's apparently one of the big things that McMahon disliked about the tournament concept. And the same with WrestleMania 4. Apparently the big tournament they had at WrestleMania 4 for the World Championship, McMahon was very hesitant in the initial booking meetings because he was like, well, I can't tell people what the world's title match is going to be ahead of time. And I can see where he's coming from with that aspect, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's just um, something definitely I'm looking forward to. But um, let's just hope it, it pans out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, up next, then, we get... Uh, oh, dear. We've got the booty man, Danny. Uh-oh. <laughs> <We got it>. <laughs> <laughs> and he is facing Diamond Dallas Page. Now, this was initially supposed to be the blow-off to the Johnny B. Bad Diamond Dallas Page storyline with Kimberly involved and the whole money Kimberly has won at Bingo or whatever it was and the back and forth with the TV title and so on. But as we mentioned on a previous episode of Nitro Nights, uh, Johnny B. Bad has left the company by this point because he didn't like doing a storyline where he was basically taking ownership of another man's wife. He didn't sit properly with him he then went to the WWF as Mark Miro and did exactly the same bloody thing with Sable, but that's neither here nor there. Now, the way they've got around this is to just parachute the booty man into the storyline. So it makes absolutely zero sense. The booty man's been on the scene a couple of weeks. All of a sudden, Kimberly is infatuated with him. She's forgotten about Johnny B. Bad. And she, and for some reason, the booty man has decided he's now going to go after Diamond Dallas Page, even though Diamond Dallas Page realistically has nothing to offer he isn't the champion he hasn't got kimberly he has he, there's no reason for booty man to target this guy it's just we don't be bad leaving to me trying to resurrect that storyline with ed leslie it just makes a mockery of the whole thing danny could you make any sense of this absolutely not but <laughs> anything with the booty man you really can't make sense of but um seriously speaking about ddp here when i watched him uh come out i was like wow this is very much like um broke corbin when uh they when wwe had uh baron corbin be poor um they had the same thing with ddp he he dropped everything he had a beard um his hair was a mess and he lost everything and i thought that was great character work by ddp i think that that was probably the highlight of this entire match to me was the character work and the announcers building up um, and saying why he was poor and why he'd lost all his money and things like that that was really cool yes really good point i mean the, the link with broke corbin i didn't make but you're spot on that is exactly right and the commentator is really pushing this. He's been to various different pawn shops trying to sell his jewellery and sell his gowns and sell his ring gear and all this sort of stuff they were talking about. That's quite quite clever by the commentators as well, pushing the, the agenda that the character is trying to get across here. Uh, we also get the added stipulations of 
for some reason, I don't know why this has been added to the match. Again, it makes zero bloody sense. If Diamond Dallas Page loses, he leaves WWE. If Diamond Dallas Page wins, he gets Kimberly back. But she obviously at the moment doesn't want to go back. So how is that going to work? Is he just is she just going to be forced to go and live with him or something? Wrestling sometimes is just so silly. It really is. <laughs> Speaking of silly, after the DDP entrance, it all goes downhill because that bloody theme song of the booty man appears out of nowhere and he comes out doing his silly dance um, and his just his gyrations and not even uh, <laughs> no booty girl with him. Uh, I found that odd that she didn't appear with the booty man, um, Kimberly. Just she waited till uh, much later on in the match to appear. Yes, yes, this is true. Uh, I've got a confession to make, my friend. Yeah. When I listened to the Booty Man's theme, I played the intro and thought, nope, Danny's right, this is shite, and I turned it off. For an episode of Chain Wrestling recently, the Booty Man was entered into the Chain Wrestling Hall of Lame, and I'd try and splice bits of music into the show and all that sort of stuff for those who missed the live and what listened to the audio version to sort of separate the two shows out a little bit, I guess. When I put the Booty Man's theme on, when you get past that initial entrance bit, the initial intro, it's actually a bit of a catchy tune, mate. In the same way that uh, the the Funkosaurus, if you remember him, what was his name? Brodus Clay. Brodus Clay. His theme tune, Somebody Called My Mama. It's ridiculous and, and nonsense, but I got same vibes from that as I did the Booty Man's tune. I, I, it's it's definitely up there. I mean, I think it's Kimberly on vocals, I think. Um, really? But, I, th- I'm, I believe so, but it, I could be wrong. Could be uh, sensational, Sherry, because I know she did a lot of theme songs. But um, I just, when I listened to it, it was like it, I just can't, I can't help but just feeling anger because uh, <laughs> this is uh, Brutus Beefcake getting an opportunity here when some other guy could be getting this. Star. I mean, why do we have to watch the Booty Man in action on pay per view? <laughs> I love how much you hate this guy. It's brilliant. Um, <laughs> you're right. You're right. And it is uh, it's so outdated again. I mean, the wrestling business in 96 is changing. We're, we're getting Austin. We're getting the NWO. You can already see stuff that Eddie Guerrero and Conan were doing in the opener and so on. Things are changing in the wrestling business very slowly, but you can see it in what we're each week we're watching. We can see those changes. The, the booty man, it just feels like 1988, doesn't it? You can see, you can just picture Hulk Hogan backstage at WSW just saying to Brutus Beefcake, why don't we just call you the booty man, brother? <laughs> <laughs> and you come out and you shake your ass, dude. Something like that. <laughs> and just ruin wrestling history for the rest of us. But yeah, um, <laughs> the booty man. I mean, just, I just don't, can't see how it made any money from this. I mean, uh, no. I, I, um, regardless of anything I said about the booty man, when he came out, the crowd did uh, react to him. So I guess that's one good thing you can say. Well, this is something else as well, isn't it? As, as Brutus Beefcake, he always did get positive responses. Always did. You know, he wasn't the greatest worker in the world by any stretch of the imagination, of course. But he always got a positive response. Here is the booty man. He's kind of getting that as well. So I suppose they could consider him as to sort of getting over, maybe? 
because obviously it doesn't matter what you do in the ring. Uh, we could sit there as, as you know older wrestling fans and critique what we watch and go, I liked this, I didn't like this, and this guy's my favorite because of this, and I don't like that guy because of this, that, the other. What really matters is the the reaction to the crowd and telling a story. Now, yeah, that's kind of what you're getting from the booty man here. Well, at least until the bell rings, anyway. Yeah, you can definitely see that point, so yeah this match begins with loads of stalling and posing and diamond dallas page gets out the ring because he's annoyed and he gets back in the ring then he gets out the ring again this goes on for ages out the ring in the ring from page and the, then the booty man does a little bit of, of strutting and then kimberly comes out and she's she's dressed i mean don't go wrong kimberly is an incredibly attractive lady she looks fantastic but here she's dressed in booty man colors almost like a cheerleader we get it's so weird because this match goes for 16 minutes on the button but there's nothing to talk about no i found that as well i think the highlight for me was uh at one point uh the booty man has ddp in an arm lock and he's and ddp screams at fan he says shut up fat boy and um no, shut up, you fat pig, to a fan in the front row. <laughs> and I, I found that was the highlight of this. But you're right, 16 minutes for a Brutus Beefcake match. Oh, I mean, that was rough to get through, to be honest, honestly speaking. But I've just, I mean, should we be angry at um, Johnny B. Bad for walking out on WSW because he was supposed to be in this match instead? Mark Miro is no longer our friend. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> We, but I mean, we get a crisscross, which to me is one of the weirdest moves in wrestling, where the guys are running the ropes but diagonally across each other. It's like I, I've never understood that. Even as a kid, when you buy into everything, I never got this. Hold on we, a minute. Are you are you telling me in a real fight there's not crisscrosses? No, mate. I, I've been in a couple of real fights in my life, and I can safely say that in those pub car parks, I've never ran from one car to another and back again whilst the other guy does the same. Sadly, <laughs> sadly not. But <laughs> oh, <damn>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bursting some bubbles here, and I do apologise. But yeah, we, we get this crisscross back and forth, back and forth, and then they stop running for DDP to do a bit of a strut, which was odd. And then the booty man slaps him. There's another moment where they're they're running the ropes, and DDP drops to the floor, and the booty man just stops running. He doesn't jump over him, and it's like it's almost like one guy was doing one thing, the other guy thought they were doing something else, and they literally just stop and for a second or two kind of look at each other like, "What are we doing?" Uh, eventually, we get to a point where Kimberly gets up on the apron, Diamond Dallas Page um effectively sexually assaults her because he forces her to uh, himself uh, on here on her he, he force kisses her which we see a lot in 80s and 90s wrestling very uncomfortable she gives him a good old whack though she slaps him uh he gets hit with the high knee and booty man picks up another victory danny wow dave Meltzer, um when he recaps this match said it was more like a lonely because Brutus BFK couldn't get all the way up there because it came out mm. of nowhere. But um, yeah, sad times, Booty Man going over and winning uh, against a, a bright star like DDP. Um, I think the most unbelievable part of this, um, because they always say, oh, for wrestling fans, you have to suspend your disbelief. I can't when 
I can't believe that Kimberly would be remotely interested in Brutus Beefcake. <laughs> no, um, and he gives her a good old snog as well, doesn't he, after the match, and she acts all flustered because she enjoyed it so much, which, again, is, is just a funny wrestling trait, I guess. But you go back two weeks, she was snogging Johnny B. Bad, and you go back a few weeks before that, she was with Diamond Dallas Page, and... Uh, it's just not a good look, is it? This is not great. This is not. No, great. it's not. And if Mark Miro, Johnny V. Bad, was watching this pay per view, I bet he was thinking, that could have been me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, he's off to Hollywood, remember? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Plus, he has Sable anyway. So I'm yeah. sure he's not, uh, he's not too bothered about it. <laughs> he's off to Hollywood. We know that because Gene told us. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Mean Gene, he is backstage with. Lex Luger and Jimmy Hart. And it's, it's quite funny as well with this because we've had the Booty Man match and we have this, this segment with Luger, Hart and Mean Gene. There's some quite famous gifts that come up on wrestling Twitter quite often. And a few of them are from this show. The Booty Man one that I use quite regularly on the Nitro Nights account of him stood outside doing his stupid little dance is from this show. And then the one where Luger is stood there flexing, looking at himself in the camera, pointing at his abs and so on, is from this show as well. I was amazed by that because it was, that's definitely uh, as soon as you see them on this pay-per-view, you think, yeah, I remember that. I remember that image completely. Yeah, that was quite interesting. Yes, it was. It was good. I think to summarize roughly where we are on this show, it's a seven match card and we've had four matches. So we're, we're roughly halfway through ish, shall we say. Now, the opener was a half decent match. It was quite good with a terrible finish. The next match was relatively good with a terrible finish. The next match was kind of throwaway. It was it was a couple of minutes long, the, the Medusa-Robert Parker match. You can't really rate that very highly because it was so short. It was okay what we got. The Booty Man versus Diamond Dallas Page was freaking awful. It was a terrible, terrible wrestling contest. So at the moment, I'm not enjoying myself. When I'm watching this show back, I'm not enjoying myself because I know coming up, we've got Giant versus Loch Ness, and I know I'm not going to enjoy that. So yeah. it's not looking good for this pay-per-view at this point, but I'm then thinking we've got Sting, we've got Booker T, we've got the Road Warriors, we've, we've got this multi-stacked cage match coming up. So I'm, whereas I'm not enjoying myself, I'm relatively optimistic as to where we're about to go, Danny. I feel the same way. It was like, um, especially after the first match, I kept thinking, wow, I mean, things can only get better. I mean, this is pay-per-view. WCW are known for um, having great matches on pay-per-views. We've seen a, a few pay-per-views where they were some excellent matches that were just built throughout the night. So I was the same as you, so I was just hoping things would get better. But did they? Well, let's find out. Let's find out. We have this very strange interview with Luger, Jimmy Hart, and Mean Gene. Jimmy Hart gives Lex Luger a jacket with you know, one of his painted-up coats with Luger on the back and says it's the last time he will walk down the aisle with Lex Luger and then yells, I love you, Lex, and runs off. It was all very odd, wasn't it? It was. It was very weird, but um, it's more of that long-term storytelling that we're seeing as well, so I'm happy to, that this was on the pay-per-view. Yeah, it, it, it harks back to Sting telling Luger, you can't be hanging around with Jimmy Hart. If you're hanging around with me, you've got to make a decision and all that sort of stuff. So it's nice that we're getting more to that story here. We then go to the Giant versus Loch Ness. 
two huge guys, and I can I can understand why this was booked because it's the two biggest guys on the roster, potentially the two biggest wrestlers working in the states at this point. I mean, you could throw Yokozuna into there, I suppose, but just for you know the the, the impression of these two mammoth monsters squaring off, I can understand why it could be seen as a potential attraction. However, Loch Ness is not at a stage in his career where he's capable of entertaining people. He simply cannot. He's 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 of a certain age. We then find out very soon after this match that he's quite poorly and he's not particularly mobile even in his younger days, let's be honest. The Giants incredibly green. He hasn't been in the business very long at all and his best matches have come with the likes of Flair uh, and so on who are able to sort of help him along the way. So I didn't have high hopes for this. And even with quite low expectations, this still managed to disappoint me. Yeah, I would say kind of similar. I think the only thing that really impressed me was at one point in the match, the Giant went for a sort of splash in the corner and and, uh, Loch Ness moved and the Giant just went tumbling over it. And I just thought he would take out the entire front row when he (laughs) landed. (laughs) That was impressive. Um, Other than that, uh, I think... The most thing I was most impressed with was um, Loch Ness and the Giant actually going face-to-face because that was a really cool visual. Yeah, and there's a few of these coming up now in the rest of the pay-per-view that I'm going to mention. You'll hear the the phrase good visual, great visual, whatever, quite a bit, I think, going forward. The issue is, as a visual, as a picture, as a still of that moment, yes, it looks pretty spectacular. But we're not looking at a picture. We're looking at things that move we're looking at a pay-per-view we're looking at a, a live event and the imagery of the two squaring off lost all of its yeah, good points the moment they started wrestling both are not selling anything early on as you said danny the giant ends up outside at one point lotness tries that massive monster elbow drop he has and nails it but then he gets up to try another one and the giant moves straight away uh, we then get a, a sort of half big boot, half kind of martial arts kick effort by the giant and Loch Ness falls to the deck in a really spectacular way, which I suppose only a man his size can do. The giant hits a bloody terrible leg drop. It looked horrific and that's it. It's over. The giant pins Loch Ness and he's off to face Flair tomorrow night on Nitro. And I've got a note here saying this is a fucking mess. That's a great description, <laughs> because especially that leg drop, it was, I mean, it was almost like Loch Ness may have been made out of glass or something. It was like he he would, when the giant landed on him, it you could, they had a terrible camera angle that showed the giant's leg didn't actually hit, his uh, foot actually hit the mat more than um, it hit Loch Ness's throat or face. Mm. Um yeah, a mess, a mess of a match. But I was glad it was kept short. Yeah, that was its saving grace. It was, it was only like two and a half minutes long, so that was a saving grace. But even in that two and a half minutes, it, it, it pretty much sucked. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> we get an interview backstage then with Sting and his partner for the night, Booker T. Booker T. Here is dressed as a purple jelly bean, which is fantastic to see. Uh, and we just basically get a bit of a ranty back and forth sting saying, I need you angry. Booker T gets angry. And then we get set to go to the ring. It was all a big waste of time. 
the Road Warriors versus Sting and Booker T is next. Now, this was a match, considering the television build-up for it, the whole Sting and Luger storyline, the tag division going back and forth with the Road Warriors, the Nasty Boys, Public Enemy, and all this, all these moving parts in the tag division. I was looking forward to this. I know the main event sucks. I know that before going into watching it, because I've seen it before. This I was looking forward to. However, I I am so just devastated with what I saw. This is one of the worst things I have watched wrestling-wise in a long, long time. The whole thing goes nearly half an hour. And again, similar to what we spoke about with the Diamond Dallas Page and Booty Man match, there's, there's 30 minutes of wrestling or street fight, as they're calling it. But there's nothing to talk about. Nothing happens for half an hour. And after 10 minutes, I'm thinking, all right, this is enough. How much longer of this is there? After 10 minutes, I, I lost the will to live by 20 minutes. This is one of the worst things I've ever seen. It just drags and drags and drags. It is terrible, Danny. What were your thoughts, my friend? Yeah, pretty much the same. So, I mean, I sat here last night watching it and I was like, is this still going on? Is this still going on? It was very, very long. Um, too much going on with the split screens. I mean, we know none of us are fans of those split screens. I mean, they're just terrible, uh, especially at this stage. It was like, um, I know why they had to do it because there was so much action and people were going outside of the ring and into the crowd. Um, was, there, was there so much action? <laughs> maybe so much movement uh, would be better <laughs> described for it but so much moving around um, so, uh, just it seemed like the commentators weren't really into it either because they were just saying like oh he's going in the crowd he's going over there he's getting back in the ring that like you said there was nothing really that happened in this match I mean I thought that this would be a match where Booker T was allowed to be showcased but he really didn't do anything, did he? <laughs> no. It, I, I'll run through a, a few bullet points very quickly, I suppose. Uh, the Road Warriors come out to an awful dubbed cover version of Black Sabbath's Iron Man. It is garbage. Oh. Uh, Sting comes out with Booker T without his title belt, which again makes no sense to me. The fight starts in the aisle. Um, Sting gets his bollocks squashed on a ring post. Hawk kicks Booker T's ass for a little bit. There really is not a great deal going on. We then have a pin attempt on the floor. So is it force count anywhere now? Which puzzled me. Because in a street fight, normally the, the pin force still has to take place in the ring, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. So. But, but this is in the Chicago street fight. So maybe that could be different. Uh, I think you're giving them too much credit, mate. <laughs> uh, Sting gets a chair. And, and swings it around a little bit, to which case we get a big shite from Dusty Rhodes on commentary of "Whoa, Nelly," which was when I met when I'm noting that down. Dusty Rhodes yelling "Whoa, Nelly" as a highlight in the match. You know how shite this actually is. Uh, Hawk no sells a pile driver from Sting to pretty much no reaction from the crowd whatsoever. Sting and Hawk go out into the crowd and then they come back. They didn't do anything whilst they were out there. They literally just go out into the crowd and come back. It was just completely pointless. We then get Sting looking ridiculous because he misses a Stinger splash. He then misses another splash. He then tries a crossbody off the top rope and misses that. He then tries another crossbody off the top rope and Animal counters it. And then he tries another crossbody on the floor and misses that too. 
just give up. It's just, oh, just, just so bad. The ref rough. stops. The ref stops Booker T pinning Hawk at one point because Hawk's got to the ropes, but it's a street fight, so that makes no sense at all. Uh, I've got another note here saying at this stage, this is really dragging now. Uh, Booker T jumps over the top rope with a dive and completely misses Animal. Completely misses him. Now, Animal is supposed to move out of the way, but Animal has moved before he's jumped. So it just looked like Booker T was jumping onto the floor to hurt himself, like some sort of kamikaze lemming topping himself in some, some way. It's ridiculous. Uh, Hawk and Sting, meanwhile, in the ring, are going for like a shoulder block spot where they both run into each other. Now, they somehow miss. And it just looks ridiculous. I don't understand that. I mean, all you've got to do is literally run into the guy, but they miss each other. I don't get that. Booker T puts on a camel clutch at one point, which is strange. I don't remember seeing anyone ever do that in a street fight in the pub or down Barton Street in Gloucester. Uh, Sting tries a move from the top again and misses. Then Sting goes for a walk, Danny. He nips off for a bit of a stroll, doesn't he? Yep. He, he disappears into the back and appears with two brooms out of nowhere. Where, where did he get them? Well, the thing as well is you're going to look for weapons. Well, first of all, you're leaving and he's left his partner getting beaten up. He just wanders off, you know, which is a really strange decision. And you've got all these metal chairs around ringside. You've got tables. You've got all the usual weapons that are not touched. He goes all the way to the back to come back with a couple of brooms. It just makes no sense whatsoever. Um, Booker T then decides he's had enough and he's clearing off. He goes for a wander as well. And I've got to the point now, by the time Booker T wanders off, I have stopped caring altogether. I have no interest anymore whatsoever. And I'm cussing the fact that we do this podcast because I've got to carry on watching. I would have turned it off. Uh, Booker T, like I said, he just wanders off. Uh, Animal follows him backstage. Lex Luger's there having a bit of a workout, and they bump into him. And then everyone kind of attacks Animal. So we have Stevie Ray, Booker T, and Lex Luger all attacking Animal. They handcuff him, but we don't see him get handcuffed. So that was a completely wasted spot there because the whole handcuffing of Animal was quite important to the finish, but we didn't get shown this. Uh, Booker, back in the ring, misses a Harlem hangover. Stevie Ray then waffles Hawk with a chair. Booker pins him to end the contest. And I've just got a line here that says, at bloody last. I was the same. So it was like, oh, mercy uh, prevailed when um, that pinfall happened. I mean, just too long. Very, very long. I mean, just this is a semi-main event. I get they've built up the match for this. I mean, they've invested weeks and weeks and weeks of television, but... The payoff was just terrible. I mean, just yeah. What can you do? It it was awful. It was awful. I just so bad, so so bad. But it's okay because the mega powers are here in our spectacular four cage main event, our doomsday cage main event to save us, Danny. Yes, they are, and they're taking on the world, side. They are. They are. Our main event then is a doomsday cage match and we have Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and they are facing the combination of Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Meng, the Barbarian, Lex Luger, the Taskmaster, Z Gangster and the Ultimate Solution and they have Woman, Miss Elizabeth and Jimmy Hart with them as well. So yeah, it really does feel like it's Hogan and Savage versus the world. Uh, initially, we have Tony Schiavone explaining the rules of the doomsday match before we go to the contest. 
we're told that different wrestlers start in different levels of the cage. Hogan and Savage start at the top and have to work their way down like a gauntlet. They they win by escaping the cage. Whereas if anyone can pin or make Hogan and Savage submit, they you know the the alliance to end Hulkamania wins the match. So that's the rules as we have them at this point in time. Um, Dusty Rhodes then says one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. This is more important than anything else in the history of wrestling ever. Dusty, I love you, but for fuck's sake, give your head a wobble. That um, that does not age well, does it? <laughs> no, it does not. But then we have Michael Buffer here, so it must be serious because he's going to do the intros for us, Danny. Amazing. He's earning that 5K payment. I mean, just by announcing the amount of people he had to announce was really impressive. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, plus points, and there aren't many, so it ain't going to take long. Plus points, the cage looks amazing. This this ring with four different layers of cage above it and this huge scaffolding up the side, that looks spectacular. The lighting, when you're, when you're we're outside the cage and nothing is going on, it's lit up and looks very, you know, domineering, uh, incredible structure. The fireworks go off. So from the turnbuckles and then from the top of the cage and so on, that was quite a cool look as well. But that's kind of where it ends, I think. <laughs> it does. Um, just as we was talking uh, last time si, about um, the ultimate solution, I did look into uh, into him, as I said, and I found that he actually played Bane from uh, Batman and Robin from 1997. And, the lighting in this match made me think of Bane when um, it was going different colours towards the end, but we'll get into it. But that's what brought to my mind was uh, oh, okay. Bane lighting. See, I would, I've never seen that film. That'll come as a surprise to absolutely nobody. Yeah. <laughs> I've not seen a film. But yeah, I've never seen that film, so I wouldn't know about that. But that's interesting, yeah. Uh, the whole of the alliance to end Hulkamania come out to the Dungeon of Doom's music. Ric Flair comes out first to the Dungeons music, which was just weird. Arn, Arn Anderson comes out in basically his tracksuit. He's not even bothered putting his gear on for this nonsense. Uh, Flair and Arn are in the top cage. We're told there's no Brian Pillman. Where is he? Um, apparently, Brian Pillman literally just no-showed the event on the on the day of the... Ooh. He was supposed to be there. He just no-showed. And this wow. was after the fact. We, we, we were told, I don't know if Bischoff said this when he spoke to Pillman or Pillman has said it in interviews himself. I'm not sure the source, but the general feeling is that Pillman, Pillman was obviously getting hot and getting some, uh, some traction and so on. And people were interested in what was going on with him with this loose cannon gimmick and getting fired and, and all this and turning up in the crowd and so on. Hogan said, okay, he's getting a bit of heat. He's getting a bit of a, a bit of a role, put him in the cage match. So I can run through him too. Pillman was like, that ain't going to happen and just didn't show up. So fair play Brian Pillman. Yeah, very, very wise. I mean, he must have looked at the card as well and thought, I can't be attached to this shit show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hogan and Savage uh, come out and have to climb all the way to the top of this this scaffolding, this staircase to get into the top cage. Now, that looked good as well because the camera was kind of behind them at times and they're in quite small enclosed space and you have the purple and yellow lights and so on. And you can see them looking out across the whole arena. That was quite a cool visual as well, to be fair. Yeah, definitely. Um, there was one thing I noticed about this. Imagine you attend that pay-per-view. You won't be able to really see it, will you, if you're in the crowd? 
Well, this is something I was going to get to. You can't yeah. see anything. As the match goes on, you, you can't really see anything. The lighting... And when we get to the end of the match, we can see that tinkering with the lighting as, as the match is carrying on. But you can't see anything. But first of all, if you're looking from the floor, you're looking up through three other cages to the top cage. And they're quite a distance away, aren't they? The crowd are quite a distance from the cage anyway. And then the height of it adds even further distance. So when you have Arn and Flair attacking Savage and Hogan in the first cage, you don't really see what's going on if you're in the audience or if we get camera angles from anywhere else other than inside the cage, you can't see anything. Uh, also a hindrance is that in most cage matches, obviously the floor is the ring or the floor is the floor here. The floor is more cage. So it's like, I suppose it's, it reminded me a little bit of when you're a kid and there's about five or six of you playing on a bouncy castle as a party. And when one got one kiddie runs on the bouncy castle or jumps on the bouncy castle, everyone else is bouncing around as well. And you're all kind of really delicately walking on eggshells because everyone's bouncing all over the place. That's the vibe I got here, watching Arn Anderson trying to kick Hulk Hogan in the head whilst Ric Flair was jumping up and down next to him. It, it came across like they were on a bouncy castle at one point and they couldn't do anything. Yeah. I mean that that I mean that's what how I thought as well. It was like a bit confined, a bit confined, but I was glad that they did eventually break out of the cage because I thought the whole match was going to take place in the cage. But yeah, see, this is the thing. I mean, we'll run through a few more moments before we get to that, I guess. But um, Arn and Flair put figure four leg locks on Hogan and Savage at the same time, which was an interesting spot there. Uh, Flair passes something to the cage below. Now, I'm not 100% sure what he passed down. I'm not sure if we ever find out, do we? No, I don't think so. But um, maybe it was uh, a shoe from Liz or woman, possibly, just um, guessing from uh, from the weeks of TV. But that's just an assumption. It could be anything. They made a big deal of Flair passing this thing to the cage below whilst the match was going on. And it was just a case of, well, okay, then it doesn't get explained again. It's never mentioned again. It just makes I no sense. Maybe it was a key to open the cage. I guess. I Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But also, I mean, if he's passing stuff down, why doesn't he just use it himself? He's he's the one actually wrestling Hogan and Flair at that moment. Why is he passing it down? <laughs> he could pin Hogan and end the whole thing before they get into that next cage. So that makes zero sense as well. Well, it's just weird. Hogan and Savage have some powder. And I'm not talking that normal type of powder that you associate with Hogan. This is powder you're using in wrestling. And they're throwing it around, and they manage to use that to escape the top cage. They enter the second cage, where they're greeted with Luger, who looks incredible again here. He always did. The Barbarian, who, who's you know put together and, and an intimidating fellow. Meng, who we all know is, is a nutcase and scary-looking dude. And little Kevin Sullivan. And Hogan has a teeny, tiny chain from somewhere i have no idea where he got that from but it just Maybe. it just appeared was it the chain that was passed down because none of these things are cleared up we don't know yeah i think you're right actually yeah we'll go with that yeah okay yeah we'll go we'll, we'll, we'll fill in the plot holes that wsw created okay so hogan's got this teeny tiny chain and starts punching people with it but we can't see this chain we don't know what he's got because it is so small and we're looking through a cage and it's all badly lit and there's lots of bodies everywhere so we can't really see what the hell's going on 
in theory, because Hogan and Savage have got to the second cage, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson are eliminated, we're told. But they decide to come down to the next cage and just carry on regardless. So that makes a mockery of the rules there. Uh, Heenan, at one stage around this time, turns to Tony Schiavone and actually asks him the question, how do you win this? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly, Bobby. How the hell do you win this? What is going on? What are the rules? Because at this point, half the stuff Tony Schiavone has told us no longer applies. Yeah. <laughs> just, just quickly just quickly so I, I have to say Bobby Heenan you have to discredit him because he also said the line in this match it don't get any better than this oh Bobby why why'd you do it um, <laughs> oh dear Sullivan and Hogan fight out of the cage onto the scaffolding and they tease that somebody's going to get thrown over the scaffolding onto the floor and Tony Schiavone comes out with a line, this isn't just someone's career now, you're threatening someone's life. So I'm assuming he's insinuating that Kevin Sullivan should be charged with attempted manslaughter here or something. I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. Uh, Hogan and Sullivan eventually get to the outside of the cage where Luger comes out of nowhere and joins in again. Um, Savage comes out the cage as well. So, because because at this stage, there's no one in the bottom cage. We forgot to mention that, Danny. My God, this is so chaotic. Yeah. And, you know, there's no one in the bottom cage. Uh, yeah. Z Gangster and the Ultimate Solution, they've not turned up. They're still in catering. They're having a sandwich or something. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, kept thinking, where are they? Where are Z Gangster and the Ultimate Solution? But um, they were saving them for the, uh, they all say save the best till last. Oh, God. I mean, effectively now we've got Hogan in the ring because he's escaped the cage. We've got Savage on the outside because he's escaped the cage, both fighting Kevin Sullivan and Lex Luger respectively. But Hogan and Savage have escaped the cage. So that means they've won, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I thought that this match was going to be over then. <laughs> but yep, yeah, and then straight after that, we get the monsters, don't we, Sir? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a bit of chaos. Hogan uses a microphone on Kevin Sullivan, barely touches him with it, but yet still somehow manages to break the bloody thing. I'm not sure what was going on there. Uh, Kevin Sullivan gets a plank, then puts it down. Randy Savage picks the plank up and uses it on Sullivan. That made no sense. It, it made no sense, but it did look impressive, someone running around with a plank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not not just a little two-by-four effort like Axel Jim Duggan. This was a massive plank from the scaffolding. Um, everyone else at this point looks like they've buggered off because we've only got four guys who are scrapping. Um, the massive cage now is just sat there unused. This whole attraction they have built, this whole pay-per-view around, they were in it for about 10 minutes and got out, and now they're back in the ring anyway, so that seems a bit pointless. Uh, eventually, Danny, as you said, here comes the ultimate solution and Z-Gangster. They, I mean, Z-Gangster, just he looks off his tree. I don't know what's going on with this guy. They take Hogan and Savage back to the cage. So when I back in the ring that is in the bottom of the cage, this is just such nonsense. I'm getting confused going through my own notes. This is when we have the issue with the lights. The lights are too bright, so you can't see what's going on in the cage. Then the lights are purple. And then they just turn the lights off, so it's dark. <laughs> and then they try the purple again. And it's like, surely you should have ran through this before actually going on the pay-per-view live. In this chaotic cage match nonsense, we randomly have a couple of bear hugs, which didn't fit in the slightest in what was going on. 
Ric Flair and Arn Anderson decide to come back. Arn's at this stage got changed. He's got his gear on. He's obviously going to take it a bit more seriously now. Uh, Hogan and Savage are, are worn down. They've been beaten down and so on. And then your mate arrives, Danny, doesn't he? My mate. Um, no, who was that? The booty man. <laughs> Did he? I, I think I uh, passed out at this point. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine <laughs> I actually don't remember him uh, appearing. Yeah, the booty man arrives, uh, passes frying pans to Hogan and Savage. <laughs> Why fry? They're not even proper big stern fry. They're like the little piddly frying pans you take camping, where you're only going to cook yourself, you know, like the one egg or whatever, because you're out in a field. They're not even like big bits of kit or whatever. And you've got all these weapons you can use, but he passes them two poxy little frying pans. I think I mean, somebody, I, yeah, somebody needs to have a word with WCW's weapons department. We had brooms, and now this. <laughs> yeah, they're just raiding the kitchen, I think, aren't they? You know, raiding the yeah, they larder. Are. <laughs> yeah, but That's next. If, yeah, exactly. But he passes the frying pans to Savage and Hogan, and they start wellying the baby faces with these frying pans. Hogan, the same with the microphone, old heavy-handed Terry here, he breaks his frying pan's handle straight away. So he has to then hold it like a like a disc or a record and pretend to tap it on people's heads and it just looks absolute shit. Luger is back all of a sudden and he's got what looks like one of Michael Jackson's gloves. Uh, he's putting that on and we're told by commentary it must be a loaded glove because, of course, why wouldn't it be? He goes to hit Hogan. Hogan moves. He hits Flair. Hogan quite clearly on on the audio of the TV show on the pay per view, as Savage and he are led down very close to the door. Hogan shouts, "Let's get out of here!" They both start shimmying towards the door before Savage realizes, "Oh, hang on, I better actually go pin the guy." Jumps back in, pins Flair. Then they escape, and that's the end of the show. And my head is fried, Danny. Yeah, pretty much the same. I've, I found that finish very, very odd when um, Savage just runs back in and just quickly gets that pin in and then just run, jumps back out. and was like, right, we're off. But yeah, that was a lot to watch. Um, we didn't even mention about the, the tremendous amount of um, split screen they also had as well, which mm. was annoying. Um, but yeah, very, very um, a bad main event, to be honest. Cool visual. Bad main event. I mean, the one thing I would have changed for this is I would have had the giant in this match somewhere in, instead of that match with the lock with Loch Ness. Right. Okay. I mean, I I I can't give you one thing I would change because if I went into what I would change, we're going to be here for the next three hours because I've got a big <laughs> old list. Oh man, I I suppose then, seeing as that is the end of the pay per view. Uh, tomorrow night on Nitro, we've got the Giant versus Flair. So that's something to look forward to. I'm intrigued to see what happens next with the Dungeon of Doom in a way, I guess. They've just lost this big potential blow-off. So are they gone now? Is that it? What's going to happen with Luger and his Michael Jackson glove and all this sort of stuff and the fact that he hit Flair? Uh, I, I don't... I, I'm, I'm feigning that I'm interested because this three-hour pay-per-view has just sapped all enthusiasm out of me, Danny. But the most important question, Si, what will happen to the booty man now? <laughs> and oh. will DDP quit wrestling, as he said? Well, he's supposed to. That, that's it. That's, we've just witnessed the end of Diamond Dallas Page's career. That's it. That's it. It was a gone. great run. It was a great <laughs> run. <laughs> uh, so then, I suppose, very disappointingly, we need to give our 
our uh, woos and our oh brothers, our plus points and our negative points, and then rate the show overall, Danny. Do you want to go first or second, my friend? I'll go second this week, sir. Okie doke. Uh, my O brother is obviously the main event. It was fucking stupid, ridiculous. And it only just beats out the tag match because at least I was watching, wondering what the hell was going on. The, the, the Chicago Street Fight tag match, I was watching that and bored. But at least this kind of, I don't know. They're both as bad as each other. You could t- you could take your pick. It could be either or. What about you, my friend? What's your brother? It has to be the Chicago street fights because it's just... <sighs> well, actually, no. Actually, I would have to say that's on one of them, but the main one would be the bad finishes on this pay-per-view because this is uncensored and we had a disqualification. We had a man get hit in the balls and then just pinned. <sighs> I mean, it's not it's not very edgy. I mean, you look at other uncensored pay-per-views and they try to put an effort in with the... Um, that relaxation of rules, as they call it, as Tony Schwan calls it. But yeah, not not a good night for finishers. No, no. Uh, my woo was incredibly difficult to pick because there's nothing that I really want to give a woo to on this show. But I'm going to give it to Regal and Finley in their match. It was probably the best thing on the show. The finish was a bit crappy because it was a DQ finish and so on, but it probably was the best match on the show. It was very hard hitting and it's the the type of wrestling I like to see. So that was my, that'd be my woo. What about you, Danny? It would be the visuals of the um, four cages because um, that to me, it just didn't make it worth watching the pay-per-view, but it made it memorable. Um, I even tweeted out a picture last night. It was like, yeah, this look actually looks really cool. And then the bell rang. So (laughs) (laughs) that would be my woo, mate. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I don't think I need to ask this next question realistically, do I? But with regards to obviously watching it back is the normal way we look at it. Hit, miss or middling, my friend? It's a high miss. I mean, it's not a low miss. (laughs) I'm giving it a high miss this week. Uh, So how about you? It's a big, big miss for me. I could quite happily never watch a minute of this event again. I hope that nothing in my podcasting life ever means I have to go back and watch any single second of uncensored 96 again i would rather gauge my eyes out to pour salt in the hole that tell us how, so you're saying you didn't like it very much <laughs> not really <laughs> but there we go there we go that's the end of another pay-per-view review here on nitro nights our next episode will be the fallout nitro from this pay-per-view interesting to see where wcw goes next especially when we have the lethal lottery coming up on the next big event in a few weeks time danny before we depart my friend john let everybody know whereabouts they can find your good self online and all the shows you are involved in yep so you can find me on twitter at scottish juggalo you can hear me on one man's meat podcast with the great chris bellis you can hear me on Back when with the great Ty Peters, and you can hear me here where we'll be talking about the Giant versus Ric Flair for the WWE Championship with the great Cy Powell next week. Yeah, it can't be as bad as what we just watched, surely. It really can't. But, oh well, maybe WCW will surprise us again. Who knows? We've had such great nitros building up to this event. That's why I'm so bloody angry, I think. Yeah, I mean, it almost makes makes us wonder. I mean, just... 
I mean, are they are they losing their momentum in terms of pay-per-views? And where will the next one be? Mm, yeah, going to be interesting to see. Going to be interesting to see. And you will find out, obviously, by listening every week and following along with us here on Nitro Nights. But you can find me online at SJP Words. Uh, but most importantly, you can find the network at SJP World Media on Twitter and Facebook. Chuck it a follow, a like, and all that good stuff. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube. Subscribe to everything out there podcast-wise available on all good podcast platforms and you get this show nitro nights you get uh, if you enjoy this check out nxt rise and fall that i do with our good friend joshua goodwin taking in nxt week by week by week in a look back format we have chain wrestling live on a monday night and the podcast version on a wednesday the doctor who pod the waiting room oh my goodness there's so much there benny mack looks at wwe every week so he watches so you don't have to the guys from the states from rsh wrestling looking at modern day wwe there as well a different perspective from three people who live in the country of its origin so much there on the network and so much more coming as well at sjp world media on twitter and facebook but you can follow this show on twitter and facebook as well at nitro underscore nights that's at nitro underscore nights chuck it a like a follow and all that good stuff danny i feel we bottomed out this week the as yaz once said in the early 90s the only way is up my friend definitely and next week we'll be back to censored WSW Nitro Nights <laughs> yeah exactly exactly I'll speak to you next week bud take care mate and to everyone else as always thank you for listening <laughs>